Matthew chapter 14. The text that we're covering today overlaps a little bit the text that we covered last week because I did not go into detail uh, concerning the miracle that Jesus did there when he fed the 5,000. And so I'm going to go back and pick up a little bit of the detail and try to press through to the end of the chapter. All right? So just to set the context before I pray, you know that what happened here was that Jesus heard the news about what had happened to John the Baptist. And we're told there in verse 13 that he went and he, to a deserted place to get alone. But when the people heard about that, what did they do? They got on foot, they got up, and they ran to him and followed him where he went. So he didn't get his chance to get alone yet. But that comes in this chapter. So what happens is, even in the course of Jesus like kind of, it seems, struggling a little bit with some difficult news that he heard, God opened the door for Jesus to minister and to serve and to do something very good and very glorious in his name. And uh, that can be very hard, right? When you're having difficulty internally, you're struggling with something. It's, it's, sometimes that makes it very hard to minister and to serve. And sometimes we just want to stop, you know. But here you see Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? But here we remember Jesus also is in the flesh. He's, he's, he's a man. He's human. And there are many times where you see kind of the human emotions of, of Jesus come out and come through. And what you have happening here is uh, Jesus in this difficult situation trying to go away to get alone, but these multitudes come. And you can, you'll see when I read it that compassion comes over him. And what I think happens is God the Father and the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, which is there's the whole Trinity at work together, Jesus finds this strength even in the midst of hardship to still serve the Lord. And he does. And then after that, he gets his time alone. But that's kind of the context of what's going on. Let me lead us in a prayer. And then after I pray, we'll read the passage together all the way through to the end of the chapter. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege and the joy and the comfort that this time of worship here together today has already been as we've reminded ourselves in the way that you gave us of the sacrifice that you made and that you're going to come again one day. Lord, as I read this passage of Scripture and we all consider it together, I know, Lord God, that what the person, the reader, the thinker is called to is faith. And Lord, help us to respond in faith. If there are people, Lord, hearing this, who need to be saved from their sins, to become born again, to be converted, I pray that You would bring that about by the power of Your Spirit through the preaching of Your Word today. 
that they would come to believe, that they would come to faith. And Lord, for those of us who are in the faith by your grace already, thank you, first of all. But Lord, I pray that we also, Lord God, would be compelled and encouraged to continue to believe day by day as we walk with you. We know, Lord, that our whole life and relationship with you is rooted in that, in faith. And so we thank you for your grace by which we're saved through faith. And we pray that faith would be inspired and grown here today a little bit by the consideration of your holy word. I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 14. Listen to God's word. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus sent, uh, went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that he might only touch the hem, or begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. You know that the miracles of Jesus were done and then recorded for the same reason. And what was that reason? That reason was to bring people to faith in Him. His miracles, when performed live, were a revelation of the glory of God upon Him and in Him. They were a revelation of who He was. They pointed to the reality that He was the Messiah and that they should, the people who were seeing and experiencing all of this, should come to faith in Him. So powerful is this truth that at another point recorded in the Gospels, when people are doubting and questioning and wondering about Jesus Himself, Jesus actually says to them, believe me, or at least believe the miracles. You know, there's one point where he actually says that. I mean, I mean, look at what you're seeing here. What's the whole point of Jesus doing these incredible things that we read about? It's to bring people to faith in him. And they're written down then for the same purpose. So that we all these years later would read and that we would have faith and be saved. You know it very well. That's how the Apostle John got towards the end of his Gospel. After writing down all the amazing things that Jesus did, he said there's a whole bunch of other things that Jesus did that aren't written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing you might have life in His name. All these things that Jesus did and all these things that God had written down and passed down to us and all this preaching and talking and thinking about it that we do all these centuries later, it's all for the very same purpose. To inspire faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To bring those who have no faith to faith. To bring those who are struggling with their faith back to faith. And to those who are doing well, to ground them and encourage them in their faith. But the call of all of these things and the call of all of these words is the same. Believe. 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 I find it amazing that in the first of these passages, I know I'm short on time, but We'll go right into it here. In the first of these things, the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle is so remarkable that it's one of, this is one of the miracles, and it's not a, a ton of them, but all four Gospels record this. Very often there's commonality with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Sometimes John, because maybe because he wrote so much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, presumably, that... Uh, sometimes John will take a little different twist, include a little different detail. But here is, here is a, a miracle that is pretty uniformly recorded and presented to us in all four of the Gospels. 
And it starts off by telling us, as we mentioned already, that Jesus was going to get alone. But this great multitude, when they heard it, went out to him on foot. They just ran out to him, walked out to him from the cities, from the surrounding towns. So Jesus goes to get alone, but God the Father has another plan. Many people coming to him. And verse 14 tells us what? He was moved with compassion for them and what? Healed them. Now, right away, I want to point out to you that every single one of those healings was amazing, right? None of them are recorded in detail. It's, it's just presented like, because, you know, the famous part of the passage is that he feeds the 5,000 people, right? Which is itself a great miracle. But read that again, because it's just a little blip on the page that goes by. But listen, he was moved with compassion for them, and just four words, and healed their sick. He healed their sick. Who's sick? The multitude's sick. We're told later, 5,000 men besides women and children. He healed the sick from that multitude. A couple of things about that blow me away. That is, like I just said, number one, every one, every single one of those healings would have been a very greatly notable miracle. And if you could imagine how the fame of him must have continued to spread throughout Galilee after doing all that. I mean, it must have just been just an amazing place, an amazing time to be around. There's this, like I described it last week, like this stadium-sized multitude of people. Who knows how many among them were sick, but Jesus just goes, and because He's compassionate, He just, and I think the implication is clear, He just heals them all. He doesn't ask them for anything. You know, don't make a donation to my disciples, to the ministry, or don't come and do, don't, don't do anything. Just, just heals them. Because He's moved with compassion. And like I told you before, God the Father gave him that strength in a moment when he was trying to get alone. That's hard. When you're, God, he heard John the Baptist got beheaded and he wanted to get alone. That troubled him. So he's bearing this troubling news and trying to get alone with the Father. And then this multitude, and God the Father just gives him this strength and puts this compassion. Christ has this compassion in his heart and just reaches out and heals every one of their sick. Now, may I say to you that that itself is not a point to just be glossed over, even though it comes really quick. There is a great spiritual picture that is being painted, that always is in all of His miracles. And what is that? Just like Jesus was moved with compassion on that multitude and healed their sick. Listen, so is God moved with compassion on this world and will heal all who come to faith in Christ. Amen? By His stripes, We are healed, says the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. And that healing, though that prophetic verse in Isaiah 53 is indeed a foundational verse for Christ's ministry of physically healing people, we know that it goes way beyond that. And that is by the stripes, the wounds that Christ suffered 
when he endured what he endured and shed his blood and died, so anyone who comes to him in faith will have the scourge and the stain and the disease and the consequences of their sin wiped away. Sin wiped away like it never happened. Sin buried in the depths of the sea and remembered, dredged up no more by a holy and loving and compassionate God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Removed as far as east is from the west. If I told you right now to just go outside and go east or go outside and go west and just keep going until you reach there, you realize the earth is a ball and you would never stop, right? You just keep going and going and going and going and going. You'd circle around again and again and again, you know, and sometime maybe you'd come back here again. Oh, Pastor Lou, is that? Nope, keep going. Keep going. Listen, that's, that's how far he removes his sin, our sins from us when we come to him because of his compassion for us. Now, Here's another amazing detail about all this healing. Verse 15, first four words are what? When it was what? Evening. Right? So, now we have an extra detail added. This healing took all day, as you would expect in a crowd that size. Now, Jesus, of course, could have just waved his hands and every single one of them who was sick might have been healed instantaneously. And it doesn't say that that didn't happen, so maybe it did. I don't know exactly how it happened. The Bible doesn't record. But I know that when evening came, and they had this gigantic crowd of people on their hands, and they were in a deserted place. And listen, there's no Ubers to call. There's no street lights. They don't have Google Maps. They, listen, they're just out there, and it's dark. And that's it. And they're in a deserted place. And there's thousands of them. And the disciples sense some trouble coming up. And so the disciples, and where did they come from, by the way? You know, it said Jesus departed to go to a deserted place. And then all of a sudden it's boom, his disciples are there. Well, so when evening had come, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hours already wait. Late, send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Right? So that's another little detail. Sometimes we forget about this, but what is it? This is a very late-in-the-day meal that they're having. It's starting to get dark, and they're getting nervous. Right? Jesus says, what? You give them something to eat. And there's a little spiritual picture in that as well. Jesus was about to feed them, but Jesus just didn't do it. What did he say? He told his disciples... You give them something to eat. That's what Christ says to us who are His disciples. Here's my gospel. Here's my power. Here's my love. Here's my truth. Here's my offer of redemption and eternal life. You give them something to believe. You take it to them. Listen, no one comes to the Father except the Father draws them. Eternal salvation, regeneration, being born again is all the divine work of a sovereign God rooted in His grace and in His love and His compassion. But it is us who He tells to take it to the world. It is upon us to be faithful and to take His love 
and His gospel to the world. Just like He told His disciples, don't send them away to fend for themselves. You give them something to eat. So He says to us, His church, don't just turn people aside and assume that some other way they'll figure it out. You tell them of My Gospel. Don't assume that someone else will invite them in. Don't assume that someone else is My chosen vessel for the task. You invite them in. Amen? That's on us. Listen, say yes to the Lord's call. Cry out in prayer. Devote yourself to Him. And reach out in His name and you go and feed the multitudes. We only have five loaves and two fish. Bring them to me. That must have been a great moment. Right? That's what, that might have been the moment when they realized something really amazing is going to go down here. I mean, think about it. A bunch of people who were sick were just miraculously healed. Pretty big miracle. But you know this one's special because of all the things that happened on that great miracle-granting day, the one that's written about in detail is this. This feeding of them. And it's written by all four Gospel writers. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. You know what? When we're called to go and preach the Gospel, what do we think of ourselves? I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. People might not listen. And that very often does happen, right? I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to mess it up. What does Jesus say? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. See, them feeding the multitudes was a matter of them trusting Him. Just like you and I taking the Gospel to the lost is a matter of trusting Him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust Him. Trust Christ with all of your heart. Pray. Read His Word. Study His Word. And then go out about the mission and you give them something to eat. You're worried because, you know what? I don't understand the Bible that well sometimes. And I, can't, I don't feel like I can say it like, uh, I don't know, Pastor Lou or, or some of the other brothers and sisters I know at church seem to be... I don't feel... Stop. Stop. Bring it to me, Jesus says. And then you go and you serve. What does Jesus do? Five loaves, two fish. Looks up to heaven, blessed it, broke it. Gave it to His disciples and the disciples gave it to the multitudes. How did that happen? I don't know. doesn't say. But it did. Lord, thank You for this food. Bless it, Lord God. Thank You that we can all eat and enjoy this. And then He just starts handing it to them. And they have enough for 5,000 plus women and children and 12 baskets left over. See, Our inabilities, our weaknesses, our what we perceive to be the things that make us not worthy to do this or do that in the name of the Lord, that's nothing to the Lord. Do you hear me? Our, the things that we think are obstacles are not necessarily obstacles to God. Right? The Lord just says what? Believe. Believe. Would you just believe me? Just trust me. Just trust me and do what I say. 
I know who you are. I made you. I saved you. I know you battle with this. I know you struggle with that. Bring it to me. Give it to me. Then you go and you feed him. Listen, trust him. Just trust him and do what he says. Okay? Just trust him and do what he says. So they feed him. They bring back 12 baskets, which I said to you is, to me, an amazing number, not because it's a lot, but because it's so little. To feed that many thousands of people and only have 12 baskets left over is incredible efficiency, is it not? (laughs) Right? All right. Verse 22. Let's continue on. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat to go before him. Now Jesus gets his alone time with God. And let me just insert here, if Jesus needed time to get alone with God, what am I going to say next? Let me try it again. Wake up, everybody. Listen. If Jesus needed some time to get alone with God, then so do we, or so do I. Get alone with God. Don't miss that. You're missing maybe the key, the single key component of your life with God is that time that you spend alone with Him. Jesus made His disciples get into the boat while he, go to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Right? There's your example. If Christ Jesus needed time alone praying with the Father, so do we. So do I. Go and get it. You remember James, right? Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. So, draw near. Go near. Boldly enter the throne. Boldly come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. Go. He was alone there, we're told, when the evening came. But the boat... So the boat that he told the disciples to get in, Jesus is having his time alone. He's alone with the Lord. But the boat, we're told, is in the middle of the sea and being tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now this story of Jesus walking on the water is recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And each one of them offers a slightly different perspective on the same story, which when you put them all together, really makes the story amazing. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. It's in John 6 and Mark 6 also. But I wrote a couple of details down. One thing that uh, Mark adds is that they were rowing and they were straining at the oars. Rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. One detail that John adds to this story is that they made it about three or four miles out into the sea. Literally says three or four miles out into the sea. The sea there is the, the Sea of Galilee, right? Which is really basically a lake, right? But it's a wide lake, and to be three or four miles out into it means you're too far out to turn around and go back, but you still got a really long way to go. You know? That's the bottom line. And it's being tossed around, and they're rowing, and the wind is contrary, and they're not getting anywhere as they row. Okay? 
Verse 25 says, in the fourth watch of the night. Okay, so after dinner, presumably that was maybe around sunset. Okay, now they're at the fourth watch of the night. And any study Bible will tell you that there are four watches in the night. Each watch, if there's roughly 12 hours of darkness, then there are four watches in each night, and each watch is roughly three hours long. The fourth watch of the night is the last watch of the night before the sun rises. So think to yourself, these are the pre-dawn hours. So you're out there at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, right? 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning is where they are. And they've been rowing since dinner time, or a little bit after that. And all that rowing through the night, how far have they gotten? Three or four miles. This is a very, very bad night. for A big storm out there on the Sea of Galilee. So we're told in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And in probably my favorite single detail, which is not in Matthew, you ever get those moments where you read it and you just think to yourself, that's Jesus. You ever, you ever do that? You read, only Jesus would do this. You know, like, 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 like Jesus was like a boss before being a boss was a thing 2,000 years ahead of time. Smile. Would you please smile with me? I mean, some, some of you get it, right? But this is really cool. The Gospel of Mark records that it literally says Jesus would have passed them by. Right? So it doesn't say that here. But they're out there rowing. They've been rowing since dinner time. It's three or four o'clock in the morning. They've got three or four miles. They're being tossed around. They can't get anywhere. And here goes Jesus walking by and he just would have right on by them. But for the interaction, they end up, and that's Jesus being Jesus, right? That's just an awesome little detail that's there that I just love so much. That's in Mark's account of it. So what's their reaction? They're troubled. It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And then Jesus talks to them and says, be of good cheer, which sounds so like, the way it's translated sounds like, you know, so. I mean, maybe literally that's what the words would be, but look, it's, it's almost like you say, cheer up. Relax, would you? Right? It's me. Don't be afraid. Listen, listen, relax, would you? Don't be afraid. Does life ever feel like you're rowing and rowing and rowing and you're not getting anywhere? You feel like you've made a little progress, but there's so far to go. You think about turning around and going back, but you don't. You just keep going and... May I say to you, the stuff you're going through that makes it feel like that, it's nothing for the Lord. He was going to just walk right on by. And you know what he says to you? Cheer up. Don't be afraid. Right? What does he say? Believe. Believe. Trust me. Oh, the life of a Christian is a life of trusting Him in the midst of whatever may be going on. Believe Him. Trust Him. He's greater than the waves. He's greater than the wind. He's greater than scientific properties of people not being able to walk on water. I mean, He's greater than everything, right? So, 
Peter, verse 28 says, calls out and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And what Peter meant when he said that was not just say, come to me, but enable me to do it, right? Because then he could just say, okay, come on over here, right? That's not what he meant. He said, Lord, help me to do it too, right? So Jesus said, come. And when Peter, hey, give Peter like some credit here for some faith, right? I mean, there's some faith there, right? That's how we are sometimes. There's some faith there, right? Like, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to do whatever the Lord wants us to do and we trust Him and we're going to go and we're going to do it. So Peter climbs out of that boat and guess what Peter does? He walks on the water. Jesus isn't the only one in this passage who walks on the water. Peter does too. So Peter gets out of the water and he starts to walk and then what happens? He realizes the wind was boisterous. That is, the storm is really strong. And sometimes that's us as disciples serving the Lord. We step out of the boat. We're trying to serve Him. We want to get involved with this or that, with our church or whatever. We're praying for that person we know who needs to be saved. We want to reach out with the gospel to the lost. We're going to go to a street fair and we're going to stand there and we're going to give literature to every person who passes by. We're going to try to respond to every question they ask. We want to share the gospel with people. We're going to invite people to come and hear the gospel and hear the word preached at church. We're going to give people literature in our lives that they can read. We're going to talk to them. We're going to be available for people. We're going to step out of the comfort of our boat and serve God. I pray that that's the kind of faith that you have. But then when you step out, what do you realize? It's awfully boisterous out there, isn't it? You realize the world is a boisterous place. Pointing at you. Looking at you. Mocking at you. Reminding you of your own weaknesses and your own failures. That's what we're like. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? May I say to you that I think Peter did exactly what you ought to do in that situation. Lord, save me! Right? And when Peter said, Lord, save me, what did Jesus do? In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the wind and all the water blowing around, there's a hand a hand emerges. And the hand is the hand of Jesus. And that hand, listen, read what it says. In, let, me read, let me read what it does not say in verse 31. Immediately, Peter stretched out his hand and grabbed Jesus. That's not what it says, right? What does verse 31 say? And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Hallelujah. Hallelujah that our Lord, our shepherd is like that to us. Lord, save me. And there's the hand that reaches out and catches him. And then here's the question that comes. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What is the Lord in this miracle trying to communicate in the immediate time to his disciples? Listen, everybody, because this is for you. If you're in Christ, this is for you. What is the Lord trying to say to those of us who would read this all these years later as His children? Trust me. Believe. 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 Why doubt? Why doubt Him? Believe. Believe with all of your heart. 
And listen, sometimes matters will go by and the way that we had hoped they turn out will not happen. Even still, believe. Believe. Because in the end, which is what matters, if you have faith, all will be made right, all will be made well, all will be at peace, all suffering and sickness and death, all of it will be gone. Just believe. Trust Him. Cry out to Him. Step out of the boat in faith and walk. And trust Him in the midst of the boisterousness. There's a detail, and I'll close with this. There's a detail of this story in the Gospel of John only that is my favorite detail of the whole thing. And Matthew doesn't record it and Mark doesn't record it. Does anyone know what it is? I love this detail. It says that then Jesus got into the boat and what? It says here that the storm calmed down, but John says when Jesus got into the boat, the boat was immediately at its destination. That's a pretty big miracle, isn't it? So it's like they're in the middle of the lake. And may I say to you at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, it's dark out on the lake and it's a storm, right? And Jesus passes by, has this encounter with Peter, and then Jesus comes over and climbs into the boat. And John says, as soon as Jesus gets into the boat, not only is the storm over, but suddenly they're there. Isn't that great? May I say to you that there's a picture of the gospel call in that. The gospel call even to the lost is shown in that. And you know, John is the one gospel writer who said very clearly, the reason I'm writing this is so that you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that by believing you would have life in His name. The gospel of John is this gigantic ancient gospel tract. And John says so right in the text. Listen, a person walks through life, they go through storms, they try to row, they don't get anywhere. They try to walk on the water, they sink and they fall. A person goes through life, maybe they try religion, maybe they try self-justification through good works. Maybe they try some sort of pseudo-psychological, transcendental way to make themselves feel justified or satisfied. But when they come to Jesus, the journey's over. When you come to Jesus, you've arrived at your destination. When you come to Jesus, there's no more to do. There's no more rowing to do. There's no more striving. Jesus did all the work Himself. And we're not saved by rowing. We're not saved by walking. We're not saved by any of that. We're saved by what? Believe. 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 Trust Him. Trust in Christ and all of your sins will be washed away. If you're listening to this and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He died and took God's wrath upon your sins and then rose from the dead so that if you have faith in Him, all your sins will be washed away. 
and by His grace you have the gift of eternal life. If you are here and you are in Christ, trust Him every day and walk with Him and serve Him and don't give up. Believe, believe, believe. Our whole relationship as humans with our Creator is based on His grace and our faith. That's why Paul put it together so beautifully when he wrote, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Even faith itself is a gift from God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? If you need to be saved, trust in Christ. If you are saved, trust in Christ. Stand up with me and let's close our service.